Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for the way that you've made yourself available to us through Christ. Father, we can come here, Lord, and it's a promise, Lord, that if we are thirsty, God, if we are hungry, we come to you, Lord, we would be fed. Jesus, you said, said to the woman at the well, Lord, that this water would never run dry. God, that we could have a fountain of living water within ourselves. Lord, I just pray that this morning would be a morning, God, of hunger and thirst, Father, that we would be intentional, Lord, that we're intentional about so many things throughout our week, God, we're so focused, Father, that, that we would be so much more intentional about this morning, God, that this is your word, Father, that, that you've given us the very word from heaven, God, that, that, that we can know what you want, Father, that we can know your heart, Father, that we can know you. Lord, I pray that our heart's desire this morning would be to know you more, Jesus, that we put away the distractions, we put away the pressure to more and more the pressure to new, know new things, God, but just that we would have a, a broken and contrite heart to come to you, Father, to know you, God, to be loved by you, Father, to love you. So, Lord, we thank you for the body, we thank you for this morning, and in Jesus' name we pray and believe these things. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning at ESIS. But yeah, different with the haircut, so maybe you guys didn't recognize me this week. Um, and the headset fits different without the hair, so it's kind of lopsided. Amen. But uh, this morning we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 19. And as we've done every week, this, this scripture is a continuation of what Paul's been saying um, this whole book. And before we jump into this specific scripture, I want to look at um, in Matthew 23... 23 through 25, something that, uh, an exhortation that Jesus gives to the Pharisees. He says, O to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and um, anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith, those you, those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of a cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. But Jesus is kind of on the Pharisees in this scripture, and as an intro, and it can kind of be a, a waker-upper as we walk into um, church this Sunday morning, but I want to look at the importance of this scripture and the importance and relevance that this has for us today. Because I believe that we were just in a society that is so elevated the academia of Christianity and, and what you know and even maybe what you do in order to, to, to how spiritually mature you may be. And Jesus really gets to this. He challenges these guys of, man, you're so focused on the, these ties and these rituals, but yet the big thing, the big picture that you have completely missed. I want us to think about this for a second. Not exactly what Jesus' parable maybe is saying here, but just with these two animals. If you were cleaning your house and, and you had a bunch of people coming over and you had a camel in your house and a fly in your house, just a little fly flying around, and you spent all your time trying to get this fly out of the house so your house could be clean for the people to come over, if you spent three hours trying to find this fly and the whole time this camel is roaming around in your house and he's stinky and he's pooping and he's knocking things over, your house would be a complete mess. Even if you got the gnat out or you got the fly out, your house is a disaster by the time the people come over. And in a sense, Jesus is like, man, you guys are chasing this fly, and this camel is stinking up your entire house. And, and I believe that there's, there's times where 
we have conversations where the first thing people want to talk about is, what's your take on predestination? Or what's your take on spiritual gifts? What's your take on these things? And, and the weighty matter of what God is talking about, the weighty matter of his heart, nobody seems to care about. And, and, and we can so miss what God is doing, we can so miss his heart that we talked about last week, because we want to argue, we want to have academia, we want to impress people by maybe uh, the amount of scripture we know. And what does that eventually produce? I don't know if anybody in here at some time has felt insecure around somebody spiritually because they know more scripture than you, or they know more church history than you. And it's like you're so squeamish, you don't want to say the wrong thing. And that's exactly what these Pharisees were doing, is they were lording over the amount of knowledge and the amount of things they knew about the law, but they weren't in the business of actually equipping people. They weren't in the business of actually growing with people, but, but they've elevated themselves because of intellectual knowledge instead of the heart of God, instead of bearing the fruit of Christ. And I just want us, before we even jump into Scripture, to just reflect on that a little bit. Um, for ourselves, do we become insecure because of the lack of things we know, or do we find our security in what Christ has done and who Jesus is? And I believe that, that what God wants us to do this morning, going back to the title, is coming back to the basics. That through the book of Ephesians, we've seen a lot, and I just want to go through the summary and kind of what we've talked about again real fast, that in chapter 1 we saw that the church was called out, that, that God has, has a calling specifically for his people and for his church. Second thing we see is that the church is a family. That God has brought us together, together by the blood of Christ. In chapter 3, we saw the church is a mystery. And in chapter 4, we see the church is a team. And we got down to this Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and we've talked a ton about the process and, and God's vessel in order to impact the world. But what I want us to think about here this morning as we look at all this stuff is when we get to Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, it's like Paul has painted this masterpiece of a painting of what God's vision, what his heart is for the world and for his people. But then he goes back to something really elementary. And in Ephesians 4, 17, he starts out with, This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. That as Paul closes in kind of this, this capstone in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 of what this vision looks like to be lived out, then he says, now in order to do this, now we can't be like the world. It's something super simple. It's something that we, we learn when we're delivered, that we have to be sanctified, we have to become more like Christ. And Paul brings us back to this in verse 17 and says, this I say, therefore, that now that I've said all this stuff about you being called out as you being a family, of you being a mystery, of you being a team, now, he says, you have to be separate from the world. And this scripture, it's a challenging one that it really reveals first the reality of sin and the reality of worldliness, what sin will really do to our heart, and secondly, the importance of us being called out and us being separated. And we talked last week about the importance of having God's heart, that we have to have God's heart in order to fulfill God's vision. I believe that Paul is really continuing with this same thought here, that if we don't have the basics, if we aren't getting the camels out of our house, that we don't have the heart that can connect with the heart of Christ, that God puts an emphasis on separation, he puts an emphasis on holiness so that we can see his heart, and I believe that's what this scripture will reveal to us today. And so, as we go through this scripture, I know there's a lot of, this is a super deep um, concept that can be, but yet that we would come back to the basics in our heart, of, are there camels in our life that we don't want to deal with and we're busy chasing around the flies because they're, they're easier to talk about. It's easier to sit down and have a nice academic conversation about predestination 
But it's a lot harder to deal with the camels and the things in our heart that are choking out our ability to connect with the life of God and with who He truly is. So as we look at Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, I want to look at this very first chunk of the scripture that says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. This is a really big statement, and all of scripture is inspired by God, and all of scripture should be taken by as the authority of the Lord. But I like when, when certain phrases like this get used that makes it very evident this is not a suggestion. Paul's not saying, this I testify as my two cents that you guys should probably do in order to be the church that God has called us to be. But he says, this I say therefore and testify. That word testify is like give witness or evidence. I am saying this in the Lord, not as a suggestion, but as a commandment. Because really Paul is not the one writing this letter, but, but the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul by the commandment of God of what he has for his people. So as we go into this scripture, as it talks about sin, and it talks about the importance of the church not becoming like the world, this isn't something that God has suggested us as the body to do, but as a command that he's given us in order to know his heart and in order to fulfill his vision. So hopefully we're tracking up to this point, and I want to look at, um, we're going to use the word separation a lot, being separated from the world, and Another word that's used this way a lot in the scripture is holiness. And the Hebrew context, if you go way back to, to the Old Testament, they talked about holiness. This word came from a Hebrew word that was used that like when they were cutting meat, um, for the vegetarians in the room, we don't know about cutting meat, but if we cut meat, you have a big old pile of meat right here, they would cut a piece of the meat and separate that piece from the lump of the meat. And that's where this word holiness came from. It was being separated from the lump. And that when we were in this world, that we were born into sin. We were born part of the lump. We were born part of the world. And we talk about separation. Really, we're talking about holiness. And holiness is becoming separated from the lump and being separated to something. And that to something is that we've talked about over and over is to be in Christ. And the importance of this is Paul, when he's talking about separation, he's not talking about the world at this point. He's talking about the church. I believe that, uh, and talking to a lot of you guys over the last couple weeks, it can become discouraging how it seems like down-spiraling our community is becoming. We can talk about, man, this is happening and that's happening, and look at what you know, the government's doing or whatever the, the, the thing is that, that's getting our heart right now. But when we look at the scripture, what do we expect people of the world to do? We expect them to be worldly. But Paul's point here is if we are separated by God, if we are called out by God, for a purpose, we have to be different. If we aren't different, we can't um, be set apart for this purpose. We can't fulfill his purpose. And in 1 Peter 4, 17, I really like this scripture. He says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will the end, be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We've talked a lot about affecting the city. We've talked a lot about the vision. We've talked a lot about these things in the first four chapters of Ephesians. But the same way Paul brings the Ephesians back in these three scriptures, I believe the Lord wants to bring us back. Where are we at with the basics? Where are we at personally with the basics? And where are we at as a church with the basics of just being separated, of being separated to Christ in holiness? That 
Um, you guys have talked to Jerry, man, he hits on this, that does the world use the same tactics, or does the church use the same tactics that the world uses to get people in? You know, do we just try to be entertaining? Do we try to be fun? Do we, do we try to win the world with the world? Because if we try to win the world with the world, we're never going to win the world. The only way to reach the world is through Jesus Christ. And the promise that we've seen in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I hope we've grasped how really amazing this plan is, that God's plan through his gifts, through his structure, through his spirit, will accomplish way more than we could ever imagine. But Paul's hitting hard here is, as I've said all this stuff, you have to realize in order for us to do this, we have to be separate, that we have to be holy, we have to be separated to the call of God. So as we intro into the, the meat of this scripture, go back and read through the entirety of it, it says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. And when we look at this scripture, Paul is not making any bones about the, the deadliness of sin. And we look at, we, we read this scripture a lot, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, not just in the death that will happen to us, but it's death is in what sin brings right now. And we look at this scripture, this is what sin is doing to the world, this is what sin is doing when we allow it to take home in our heart that it's causing this futility of their mind, this word futility, it just, it just means emptiness, that there's an emptiness in the mind that, that we are not filled with the things of the Lord, but we're filled with the things of the world, which in essence are empty, that there's not, no substance to the thoughts. They may seem intelligence, but there's no substance to godliness. The next thing that we see says, having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God. Really want to, it was cool what, what John had brought up for worship of this, this desiring to be a part of the life of God, desiring to be with Christ. And when there is sin and we are in the world, there is no way we can be a part of the life of God. And when we look at the world around us, we wonder and we, we get frustrated sometimes of how evil the world is or how bad things are around us. But what do we expect if there's no life of God in something? That of course it's going to be dead and of course it's going to produce that kind of fruit. That in death and in the world there is no life within God or without God. And then he says um, this, that this is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And when we look at this scripture as a whole, man, I pray that we talked earlier about this separation from the world, that nothing in this, I don't think, looks attractive to us, right? When we look at this scripture, when we look at these things that are the consequence of sin, I don't think any of this is something that we would say, man, that's attractive, and that's what I want in my life. I want to have my understanding darkened. I want to have ignorance in myself. I want my heart to be blinded. Nobody wants these things. But then the question to us as a church, why sometimes do we want to be like the world to get the world? That we want to be like the things of the world, like, oh, man, that really seems to work with, with this type of, of effort the world's putting forth, and whether it's counseling or whether it's business or these different things. We're like, man, if we can just be like the world, we'll save the world. But when we look at this is what the world is like. Sometimes it doesn't look like that. Sometimes it looks like maybe people have happiness or people have peace, but they don't because this is what the heart, what happens to the heart when we are stuck um, in the reality of our sin. 
And one cross-reference I want to bring up as well, just another place in Scripture that really defines this and I think describes what we see often, is in Romans 1, 24-28. It says, Therefore God has also given them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and saved the creature, and <clears throat> served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And when you look at Ephesians 4, 17-19, you look at Romans 1, 24-28, this is what sin leads to. And we talked about last time the heart of God. We talked about this time about being separated from the world in order to know the heart of God. My question for us is really two things. What is our patience with the world and then what is our accountability within the house of God? Because one thing that, that has been on my mind lately and I've heard, I've done it. Um, especially when I was playing um, football with coaches and teammates and all this different stuff. But one thing that, that's, that's so interesting to me sometimes as believers, we get so impatient with the things of the world. That someone's in sin, and our coworker, whoever it is, man, they, they don't know the Lord, and, and they do have their understanding and darkened, that they have never experienced the life of Christ. And yet then they act in a way that frustrates us, right? They act in a way that, man, maybe they're mean to us, maybe they're impatient, maybe they're prideful. They do these things that get under our skin, but yet that's what the world does. It is sin in the world that produces this death. And one thing I want to challenge us with is when we have the heart of Christ, we've got to expect maybe a little bit less from the world from the standpoint of what worldly people can do in their sin. We've got to start to hold the church to a higher standard in our holiness with the Lord, that as the church is separated into the life of Christ, the church is separated into the promises of God, they start to display this truth that will actually reach the world. That our maybe beating down of the world or putting down the world, that's not what's going to end up saving the world, but bringing the truth and bringing the gospel, bringing the hope of Christ, that is what's going to end up bringing these people around. So when we look through, I want to read through Ephesians um, one more time here. This I say, therefore, and testify the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. I want to bring us back to our title as we look at this scripture of coming back to the basics. That in order for the church to fit into this vision, in order for the church to do what Christ has called us to do, that we've got to be separated, that we have to, to fit into this holiness that the Lord has for us. And there's a promise to the Lord in confession, and there's a promise to the Lord in repentance, that if we see sometimes some of these things in our heart, or we see some of these things in the church that doesn't match with what we saw maybe in the first four chapters, but starts to match what we see in, the, in these next just three scriptures, there's this, this response and this promise that God has given to those who trust in him, that if we confess with our mouth um, what we've done, that it says Jesus is faithful and just to forgive. And I don't know what comes to mind when you guys think of the word confession, 
But in the Greek, really, and just in the word in general, what he's talking about is to say the same thing about something that God is saying. So we look at this aspect of him saying, man, that we can no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of our mind. When we really come back to the basics and not necessarily what we know, but the fruit of our life, are there things that start to show up that are the same thing as the world? That we act like the world acts, or we use the tactics that the world uses, and we start to get further and further away from the truth. And in Romans um, 10, 13, it's one of our last scriptures, he says, For whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Last week we talked about this word saved. I don't know, we could do a raise our hands, but if anybody remembers what the word saved that we talked about last week meant of this deliverance, of not just the one-time salvation, this one-time confession of a prayer, but this deliverance that happens that brings us the purpose of knowing Christ, that we get delivered not for the purpose of just being saved or going to heaven, we have a purpose of being delivered for this knowing who Jesus Christ is. When we look at this scripture, whoever calls in the name of the Lord he shall be saved. That I really believe this deliverance and this not first time salvation, but this continued deliverance is so important for us as a body um, today. Now we look around if there's things in our church or there's things in ourselves personally, man, that we would take those to the Lord as we are convicted by the word and say the same thing about that thing that the Lord may be communicating. Because there is this promise of deliverance and there's this promise of hope for us who do that. And we go back to Ephesians 4 with him is this concept of deliverance. He says that being alienated from the life of God. I don't know if anybody lately has been in a hard spot or man where you're kind of at the end of the road where you don't know what to do about something. But I am very, very thankful as a believer in Christ that I am not alienated from the life of God. That, that that is something that even in our worst, even in our struggle, that's something that we can come back to. That by the blood of Christ, we've been delivered, we've been separated from the world, that we are no longer alienated from the life of God. We've been called out to be in Christ. And what, what I really want us to think about and pray about that we've said a couple times now, but going back to the basics of what Christianity is, going back to the basics of what following Christ is, are there areas in our life where we left the basics in order to maybe chase other things, maybe we've become distracted by learning things or by the academics of things, or maybe even by doing things. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten the, the stage where if I do more, do more, do more, this intimacy with Christ will come. But that's not how, how the Lord says it's going to come, that, that ultimately as he's laid out this vision, he's laid out this commission, that the last thing he's really hitting us with um, for the rest of chapter 4 is a continued thought, is this basics of knowing Christ and this basics of being separated from the world. I want to look at um, six or five things that are, I really believe, the basics that can be a template or a measuring tool um, for us. One is faith. One, or number two, is the word and prayer. And for the purpose of knowing it. Um, if you guys ever been around Rick, man, he says this all the time, but the only reason we should be reading the Bible is to know it. That it's not to know more things, it's not to, to do more things, but we should be in the Word for the purpose of knowing. And the same thing for prayer, that we should be in prayer for the purpose of knowing who the Lord is. The third thing is to tear down idols and compromise. That when we really start to evaluate where we're at with this separation thing, the thing the Lord may do is He may start to show you some idols or some things in your life that are holding you from the Lord, that are keeping you or keeping us from being separated from the world and separated to Christ. 
don't know if you guys have read much of the Old Testament lately, but we see in the Old Testament, Israel goes through season after season after season of God calling them out on their idolatry. And a lot of times what they do is they maybe will put their idols away, but they leave these high places. They call them high places. That's where they would have their idolatry, and they would never tear down their idols. And because of that, it was only a matter of time until Israel went back to the same thing. And you look at the kings that had success in the Old Testament, what they did is they didn't only diagnose the idolatry. We didn't get really good at diagnosing it, but they came to tear it down. That is, God reveals to us maybe areas we've compromised in our life or, or areas that have become idolatry. I really pray that we would have the courage to tear those down and it wouldn't just be to put in our back pocket. It wouldn't be, you know, I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to put it in my back pocket just in case I need it for later. But that idolatry is not something you played with, but it's something to be torn down. And tearing down, compartmentalizing our life that um, Peach has brought a word last week that we plan out our, our week so specifically of this is what we're going to do here, this is what we're going to do there, but is our life one of abiding in Christ? Is it one that we are in Christ and Christ is in us? And the fifth thing is to take responsibility. And the, we have to, as, as, a, as a disciple of Christ, take responsibility within the body and take responsibility within what God has called us to do. And one of the reasons why we have, um, I, you guys have noticed a little bit of the shift. We got um, the calendars out in front, but then with those, we have a little piece about Eosis. You have a little thing that has the vision of Eosis that we have been um, going through. And this last piece about taking responsibility, that we have to take responsibility for the call that God has called us and, and also the body where he's placed us. And that within this vision is how we believe that God has called us here at Eosis Christ Fellowship that this is what he's called us to do to, to affect this city and to have a healthy body here at the church. And that part of our responsibility is how do we fit into this? That each person here, whether you've been here for five times or you've been here for five years or, or 25 years, whatever it's been, that there's a piece of this that you don't have to do the whole piece, but there's a piece of this that you really fit into. There's a piece of this that God has for you that when we get to the top of that circle, it talks about the fullness of Christ. There's a piece of you that, that's really been put there to demonstrate who Jesus Christ is, where you go. And that here at Eosis, that, that I really want to, as we look at these basics, these basics should lead to taking responsibility. And part of the basics really is taking responsibility. So over the next couple, well really from now on, but over the next couple weeks, next four to six weeks, this specific piece will be here in front of us. Of the circle of what some of this stuff means just on a surface of what is the vision of Jesus. And as you guys take a look at that, I really challenge you, things that don't make sense, ask some questions that get at the bottom of what some of this stuff means so that you can be a part of what God is, is doing here. And if things don't make sense, really feel free to ask questions. And as we move forward, there will be a piece about Jesus every month that we lay in front of you guys so that you guys can know what God's called us here corporately to do and how you can fit into that individually. Just our last exhortation before we come and take communion we talk so much about this vision, we talk so much about the heart of God being put inside of us in order to accomplish this vision. But I really believe the season the Lord has in us next is just the basics. Of how do we become healthy individually as a church so we can come together corporately to really fulfill what God has for us and, and not only in accountability for each other, but as we're taking communion, really seek the Lord out. Are, are these any of these basics in, in our life missing? That whether it's idolatry, whether it's compromise, that, that this could be a time that we could look back on what Christ has done for us and allow Him to start to, to, to up uproot those things that have maybe taken, taken place in our heart. That we wouldn't be like the Pharisees that are 
chasing around the app, and we're so concerned about all these politics or different things that, that grab our, 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 our mind, but the own idolatry in our heart, we're kind of ignoring. We're putting that on the side that this could be a warning that we exalt who Jesus Christ is and really let him get at the real issues in our heart, not just our intellectual questions, but, but the hurts and, and the pains um, that are going on inside of us. So as we close in worship, well, something that uh, is specific, So in Psalm 73, uh, Asaph is writing this song because, man, it's something's hitting. And he says, you know what? Surely God is good to Israel. He has a foundation. But then it says, you know what? My steps have almost slipped. Now here's a very faithful guy in the midst of a culture that was, that was uh, diverse like ours. He says, I became arrogant. I became envious of the arrogant. And I saw prosperity in the wickedness. And they're not troubled like other men. And it seems like, for all of us perhaps, that, that there are people that we see that just don't have the struggle we have. Maybe they have money, maybe they're beautiful, maybe they're bald, maybe that you envy that, okay, whatever that is, okay? And it catches your attention and becomes something that you kind of compare what you're going through with kind of, they're not having to do that. And he talks about, man, you know what? They, they're, 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 they're chubby, they don't have to worry about anything, that they can just think whatever they want to think, and, it, and it's like they, there's no consequences, there's no, there's no conviction of their heart. And he says, you know what? He says, uh, there's something about this that began to bother him to the place where he thought, man, I, I'm going to say something about this, or I'm going to pray something about this. But verse 15 says, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed generation of your children. And this guy gets caught in the middle of it where his, his thinking clears up. That man, he begins to look at what God has said because he ends the chapter by saying, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And I've made the Lord God my refuge. That there's a resolution. And I think in some of us today, there needs to be a resolution. Okay? That this kind of dual thinking or I do this and they get away with that. It's, it's something that could be subtle or something we've kind of already given into. So I just really believe the Lord is getting at that and all he's asking us to do is man, come to him. The nearness of God man, is my good. Now we'll continue to play here for, for a minute, but I want to pray for us as, as we close. And um, If that word that Rick brought hits you or anything from the message this morning, I really want to give you guys the opportunity to respond to that. Uh, whether it's coming at the altar, whether it's staying in your, in your seat and praying, but, but to really, like we talked about, coming in and being intentional. We're intentional with so many things. Are we intentional with a word that God's given us? That, that we can't just let these things slide off our back. We have to be able to be intentional with what God is saying. So uh, as we pray, if there's anything that, that's hit you, please don't let that go and dissolve. Let's seek the Lord and be intentional with what He has put on our hearts. Father God, Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the price of Christ to, to, to free us, Lord, from the alienation of God, Lord, to bring us into to the, the community of God, to bring us into these sons and daughters. Lord, I thank you for, for the body, God, and who you've brought this morning. 
God, I pray that as your spirit works in us, Lord, that we would respond accordingly. God, whatever that looks like, Father, we respond to what you're doing this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe these things. Amen. Feel free to stay and pray, um, but as soon as you guys need to, to head out, feel free to do that as well.